0: Welcome to The Kickpod, your weekly d on the stuff that matters. Hello, this is so weird because we're not together. <laughs> I know, I'm like <laughs> talking in a room all by myself. So guys, if Laura's voice sounds a little bit funny, it's because we've actually called her in because she has the, the flu. Yes, I'm very sad. But I didn't want so, to do it without you. <laughs> not allowed to be in the podcast room. I'm not allowed to be anywhere. I'm very sad. <laughs> So Lawsy has been quite sick all month, and I think just when we thought she was getting better, uh, she came down with the flu. Unfortunately, last week. So I, it's fair, I actually miss you. I feel like over this tour we've spent so much time together that now that I can't spend time <laughs> with you, I'm like, oh, this is sad. I think it's because I'm, I'm in incubation. Is that the right word? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I'm. You can't. See me, and I feel like when you—it's like if you really like no, not that you like me like that, but you know, if you like like someone and you can't see them, and it makes it worse because they're unavailable. Yeah, <laughs>
0: oh it's gonna like that, how but sick not are really. you of being at home? <laughs> what did you say? How sick are you of being at home and not being able to go anywhere? Oh, I'm so sick of it.
1: <laughs> Just yeah. me and Bill. Lisa have Bill. Billy helps me in my colours. But yes, this podcast the last month has been quite a roller coaster of my voice. That's all right. I'm glad you are It's can never going to be today. as tragic as the other week. Yes. What did you say? <laughs> so, yeah,
0: I know. Your voice the other week was, was quite tragic. At least this time you could be with us. And, um, I mean, I hope this t- turns out all right and sounds all right. <laughs> but, <laughs> so... Let's talk about, uh, I suppose, we've got one last stop left on our tour, which is Sydney this yeah. week, which unfortunately you've had to pull out from, but everyone is being so beautiful and super understanding about it, I'm obviously. Excited. I think everyone knows how sincere you are in, in, in saying that you wish you could have been there. Um, everyone knows that about you. So they're being very beautiful and girls, um, I suppose it's going to be Wednesday when you hear this, so I'm sure we would have had the time of our lives on the Tuesday, but I'll, I'll make sure I bring enough energy to make up for
2: <laughs> (laughs) I have to bring
0: the jokes. (laughs) I know, I know. I'll have to like put my my lawsy joke head on and uh, just. Oh, was that Billy? Billy, yeah. (laughs) Billy, he's like, let me let let me be on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) now, lawsy. What can we expect from this chat? I'm very excited for it.
1: Yes, this is a good one. So I wasn't sick, obviously, when I (laughs) recorded this
0: one, but I think you, you. I don't know where you were.
1: You were sick or away?
0: Yes. Either or. or interstate, I can't or in remember. Overseas.
1: <laughs> so this week we have the incredible Amy Marks, who is the founder of Tom Organic. So you might have seen them around. They have tampons, pads. Um, they also have Tushy's wipes. So, what I love about this podcast is Amy, she's obviously a female founder. Um, She was so incredible. We speak through the importance of resilience, being okay with failure, and how she's managed motherhood while still being on top of the game with Tom and so much more. And one thing I want to mention is it was so interesting. I learned a lot about why it's so important to buy organic tampons and what actually, this is going to sound gross, but what actually happens in your body when a tampon goes in,
0: which... You, it'll make sense once you listen. <laughs> no, I'm actually really excited to, to learn more about that and to hear more from her. Tom's is definitely, and I'm not just saying this, one of my favourite brands, and it's not just because of all the good that that brand does, but also their adorable packaging. So we hope you guys enjoy this chat with Amy. One, two, three. One, two, three.
1: Hi. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for joining. Well, Steph's not here today, sadly, but for joining me today. um, I'm so excited to talk to you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So, to start off with, we always want to get to know you a little bit more and for our audience to get to know you as well. And we'd love to know three fun facts
2: about you. Oh, okay. This is a good one. Um, yeah, I was having a think about this the other day, uh, because I wouldn't say I'm the most fun person, but I could be surprising. Um, I have twins, and they are four years old. And I found out that actually one in every 80 cycles, all women release two eggs. That's how you have twins. That's the twin cycle, because they're actually not in my family at all. So... That was kind of a giant surprise for us.
1: Oh, my goodness. I never knew that.
2: Yeah. So um, that's kind of like once every like five to seven years, each woman will release two eggs. So that's your twin fact for you. Um, So that's kind of crazy. I used to raise guide dog puppies. I used to train guide dogs. That's kind of a random one because tampons and... Guide dogs and <laughs> that whole thing doesn't actually. So that's labradors, isn't it? Labradors.
1: Oh, I have yeah, a golden amazing. retriever. I love large yellow dogs. I mean, I know they're not all yellow, but they're just so gorgeous.
2: Yeah, they're divine, and they're they're like people. It's incredible what you can teach mm-hmm. dogs to do. I remember actually going through a process of teaching them to obey, to disobey. So you can go through a process of actually, you know, telling them to cross a road, but they're so smart that they actually know that if there's a car there, they won't listen to you. So they'll actually disobey the order. I just found that whole process so fascinating. Um, and it particularly through, it was like those early days of when I was actually starting Tom, um, it was just that beautiful other almost like therapy outlet for me to have this dog with me the whole time. So they'd be coming with me to oh. the post office, to meetings, they had their little jacket on so they can kind of come everywhere. That's so, so
1: special. How long do you have them for before they then move on to someone
2: 12 months. Was it sad? So incredibly sad. But you know what's so beautiful, Laura, is that at the end of the process, like I literally cried for weeks when I had to give them back. (laughs) So you get them as these tiny little puppies that fit in your hand and they literally come everywhere with you. But then at the end you actually get to hand them over to the client who – His life is just completely enhanced and changed as a result of having this beautiful companion with them that you kind of think you know what it's a bit sad to be losing my little friend for the last 12 months but it feels really purposeful and you kind of go yep I can I can deal with that because that's a pretty beautiful ending for that dog and and that person so yeah um gosh what else Oh, it's probably another dog-related one. This is kind of surprising <laughs> <I love laughs> for me. We love dogs, so that's amazing. <laughs> um, our, our third child, our son, is. his name is actually, is. we call him Bear. His first name is Jack. Um, but his name is Bear and we called our second Labrador Bear as well um, and have since given that dog away. So I don't know if that's like a strategic move or not or a rule just actually to not name your use your favourite names on your animals <sighs> because that ends up coming back to bite you. Oh, no. Well,
1: actually, our dog's called Billy yeah. and that's a person name, so... Yeah, well,
2: just be careful with that one. No, we didn't give our dog away because we wanted to use the name on our child, um, but a good friend of ours was kind enough to take take him for us because the load just got enormous with three children and two Labradors. So... Um, yeah, we have a little boy named Bear after our dog. Oh, that's so gorgeous.
1: <laughs> well, I thought they were very fun facts. So I think oh, everyone's thanks. facts to yourself it might not be as fun because you've lived it, but I think yeah. I think everyone will find them really funny <laughs> and interesting. And now what about the most pivotal moment in your career or life so far?
2: You know, I would say and this, this might just sound a bit cliche, but it has been in theory the most pivotal is when I just backed myself in and just made the call to kind of go for it with Tom and decided that this was going to be my life work and I was probably 18 at the time. So um, to think that it's amazing to have such conviction at such a young age without... Mm knowing all the possibilities but also knowing all the things that co- could go wrong, it's almost like the perfect time to to make that sort of call. So I would definitely say that moment where I graduated from school and, and decided that I wasn't going to follow that conventional path and that I was going to start a tampon company and compete with the biggest multinational companies in the world <laughs> without having any experience. Which so, is just amazing
1: and I can't oh. wait to get into that. It's just incredible what, what you've done. What about a f- your first goal that comes to mind? It can be really small or really big.
2: Yeah, I think it was to be able to – for me, it was always to be able to start a business that um – I guess of course plugged into all of my values and was completely aligned with what I believe in but then to also be able to have a family and not compromise the two and it's something that I'm still, and I know so many women are, are mm-hmm. navigating and there's there's just no such thing as balance but I think I've been on like a really intentional path recently to be able to navigate what that looks like for me and self-regulating on that and um, and that's been a big goal to not have to give one up for the sake of the other. So, So that's the other big thing that,
1: I wanted to talk to you about because I think that is one of the hardest thing about being a woman, especially in business, is that you have the pressure of being the mum and, you know, you want to have a family and be there, but then you also have to be there for your business, which is kind of like your baby as well.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think the thing that we all miss is that actually that self piece in between too is really important that, you know, we want to cut ourselves into and be there for our family and our business, as you say, but what about that time just for yourself? And I think that that was kind of the critical factor for me, so... I
1: can't wait to get into that later. So, to start off with, I wanted to go into your childhood. So, you spoke before that, I mean, up to your year 12 project, which was amazing that you worked on Tom in year 12. So, I'd love to hear that story. But first, what were you like growing up? And and were you an entrepreneur? Kind of, did you have, like, did you start a lemonade stall when
2: you were young, or did you do things like that? I actually did. I was that kid. (laughs) No, I actually was that kid. A little bit predictable, but, um, I always, I just remember from a year, really young age, I hated conforming. Like I always, whether it was in a classroom or, um, you know, a, a typical path to get to a certain point, even from a young age. So my parents telling me that I couldn't do something, I would always figure out a way how. Um, that was always pretty creative. So yeah, I used to make, um, I remember going to schoolies actually in final year and I um, you know, I made these singlets and I was selling them on the beach at Byron, go, Byron and yeah, that whole thing. And that kind of funded, you know, that next period of my life. And um, I remember just having like vending machines in my dad's car wash business and selling, you know, soft drinks through high school and, you know, just always finding like little creative ways to, to get that that edge just because I enjoyed that process like it wasn't it wasn't never about the money for me I just I loved that creative process and that feeling of feeling really independent um you know I think growing up my parents always had that traditional role where my dad worked really hard and my mum also worked really hard Mm -hmm. but she was kind of more in the home and full-time with us um and there was this dependency from my mum to my dad financially and I I think I saw that growing up and thought I just want to do that bit differently you know for me so you know perhaps that was the place that came from just that that female empowerment piece that just because i'm a girl doesn't mean i can't you know you can do it run the show as well equally um with my partner so um so growing up, yeah, I was always thinking a bit differently. I was super creative. Um, I was the eldest um, of three and of all my cousins as well. What so, you, what, I just,
1: um, Did you have sisters or brothers?
2: I've got a brother and sister. Okay. So, um, yeah, there's six years between me and my sister and we're super close now. My brother, there's two years between us and we're all, yeah, just a really tight family. So I think that was probably a, a, a defining piece of our childhood that we always just wanted to hang out. You know, we were always really close playing together after school. We were always really sporty into health and you know all of those values you know not by accident by design have really plugged into Tom and where I am today but um, I think that relentless support from our parents I remember at one point dad kind of saying to me you know you're really employable still if this thing doesn't work out but you know he was just always in the sidelines backing me even when it was super scary Um, and mum as well she was that one just feeding me bringing cups of tea and you know when you have those long days of just trying to make it work but yeah, growing up, I think I was just I, – I got a lot of joy out of being incredibly generous with the people around me. I used to make things, gifts, random presents. You know, I i got a lot of joy out of creating something from nothing and, and seeing the reward from that. And, um, again, that's not indifferent to, to Tom. Um, that's today. amazing.
1: Did you work as well? – did you have, like, a part-time job or was your yeah. part-time job your – businesses that you were running.
2: Yeah, so there was there was no money for a very long time and still there's a lot of reinvestment in growth mm-hmm. for Tom. So, um, you know, you had to survive and my parents were always really hard on us growing up and that's one thing at the time that I was like, why am I the only kid that has to buy their own car at school? But actually, you know, that work ethic that they instilled in us um, from really early on, it helps um, to build the model that is today. But um, yeah, all the part-time jobs on the side um, and lots of babysitting and, you mm-hmm. know, remember working for Two Times You, one of the local... brands there at the time and, um, and um, yeah, just whatever I could to kind of fill those extra hours to, to support the day-to-day.
1: I think it's funny. When I was a, I was a kid, I was in the same position. I, I a lot of my friends got their own car bought for them and, and I had to buy my own at the time. I hated it. I thought it was so unfair. I thought I was so disadvantaged because I was like, oh, you know, they can study more and, and I deferred. You need to save for it. Um, but what I learnt from that, I'm now so grateful for. And, and going back even to with your parents, and my parents separated when I was younger and something that my mum instilled in me from then was that she was upset that she kind of let her career kind of wash away a little bit to raise us but then it meant when my parents separated she kind of didn't have it and she had been dependent on my dad and now had to be independent so it's it's a really important lesson I think Oh, and it's critical. okay for both of you to be, and some, you know, sometimes it, it is one way that one parent is dependent on the other, but I think because I've seen what happens if it goes wrong, that's something that's always been ingrained in me that, you know, I have to be okay on my, on my own two feet as well.
2: Totally. Yeah.
1: So what about that year 12 project? Yeah,
2: that that U12 project really came from um a special place which was my teacher. Um you know, I I always was very intentional about wanting to start and run my own business. It was just mm-hmm. something that I knew I wanted to do. I couldn't be put in a box. I needed freedom to run and 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 think creatively um so, yeah, we were just given this design project in my final year of What school. subject was it? Graphic design. Okay. Um, I remember also studying business management. I used to love that, that fusion of the two, the business with the design, because um, you could really make anything come to life with, mm-hmm. I think, those two pieces in your life. Um, and the project was go into your local supermarket, find a product category that hasn't changed in 10 years and do something different with it. And I just remember that moment of walking down the tampon aisle. And mm-hmm. I remember if you think back to, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, there was just a sea of blue and pink boxes. Yes. There was no nothing different about them. And was that blue and pink just one was super and one was yeah, normal? different sizes. Yep. That was all there was. And a lot of sameness. And then I was like, okay, well, I could make this really beautiful, you know, I could, you know, I could create some packaging that... You felt so comfortable to um, to kind of carry tampons around in and have that product sitting out on the, you know, the table in front of you at a cafe or not have to hide that product, you know, walking down the aisle of the aeroplane with the tampon yes. in your hand,
1: you know. Or so, not be embarrassed to ask your parents to buy it or your partner. Totally.
2: Or. Yeah, so I think it was it was from, from very early on it was, again, you know, just that women's empowerment piece at the core. Like be, be comfortable to carry mm. a product that is so normal um, and is so important for our lives and our well-being. So that's where it started and I just remember hitting the ingredients list on those boxes, you know, when I was making my own mock-ups. I was like, "Oh gosh, I'm really surprised that there's like there's polypropylene in conventional tampons. Um what there's is that? synthetics, it's plastic." So oh, so wow. basically the composition of a So here I am sitting at my desk in my bedroom. I had I just remember having two glasses of water. Um I put Um, This conventional tampon in the first glass and it was falling apart. And um, that's because the outside of that tampon is actually just wrapped in a polypropylene veil that holds everything inside together. And what's inside that product is um, a lot of the time um, viscose rayon, which is essentially it's a tree pulp. Like it's a, it comes from, it's, it's, wood. Um, And that's where it originates from. It's obviously heavily processed to Mm. get to that final point. And um and so what holds those fibres intact is this polypropylene and, and what happens really quickly in that water is that the fibres started to come off and they were floating in that jar and I was like, hey, that's really interesting. And then I was like, you know, talking about what's an alternative and, and really started to ask those questions. That was where the, the fuel and the fire started and, um, you know, never stop asking those questions that I think come from the gut was a learning that I should have really held onto yeah. through all of the challenges in the business because that's so pure when you start. You just go on this site like, path and there's like this relentless, and you need to get to the bottom of what that solution is and and for me it was what well, made sense to have a, a pure organic cotton tampon that didn't have any of those additional synthetics and... Um you know, we only use, what, twelve to 15,000 of these over our whole lifetime. It's so, so many. It's so many, and I think just being 18 at that time, you know, there weren't a lot of organic products around. Like, you don't walk into Coles and Woolies then mm. and see, like, Macro started maybe five years after that, those organic products, but you really had to, to hunt to find those products, so I didn't even know what category this fell into. I just was following, again, that gut instinct. It could instinct. have almost
1: been in the health aisle or something.
2: It always was, and, you, you know, bottom bottom shelf of those health food stores covered in dust you could Uh maybe find an old box of organic tampons so um so this concept of having no unnecessary um ingredients Uh in this product it's being super pure it's in the most absorbent part of our bodies that um you know and so yeah i just remember putting this organic tampon in water and comparing the two and it was so pure i was like wow i actually feel like really comfortable using that product and I need to get behind it. Like it was just, okay, so then where do I buy it from and where can I find it? And and there was no alternative. Like there was just no solution. And
1: Does the skin, yeah. I'm guessing it's quite an absorptive area. Absolutely. More compared absorbed, to more then absorptive your than your mouth actually. Yeah. <gasps> wow. Yeah. And is yeah. that what kind of made you think, hang on, this is I'm literally absorbing wood and plastic and everything into my body? Totally.
2: It's more about, for me, it's that cumulative impact around, and this is the big conversation around organic products too, it's not about being fearful around it. It's mm. just about knowing that, you know, it's of course fine if you use things, you know, small amounts of time, but if you think about your whole life and your whole picture and you think about the accumulation of those toxins building up in your body, on your skin, in the food you eat, mm. in the tampons you use, it's just about making conscious choices to where, is most important in your life and where is going to create the biggest impact in your life. And for me personally, I was like totally horrified by it. And I was like, okay, well, like I'm never going to use a non-organic tampon again um, because that is the most absorptive part of your body. Um, So yeah, I just, it just completely made sense to me and that was it. Like I was just And when was
1: the, pro- was the project, like at the end of year 12 or was it in the middle? Was it was it in final? the middle, so
2: it was like okay. part of our um, folio work um, and so designing the tampon packaging and it's so far from that now but it was such yeah. a beautiful starting point because, you know, you really do and I think the big learning there was that you're so free to think without fear of failure at school and using that time to to explore the possibility of anything and find your, like, find that thing that really lights you up. You know, it's a really beautiful time to do that because you're not in the workplace. You don't have a whole lot of people performance managing you and mm. telling you what you're doing wrong. Um, it's, all, it's all good there. So... Um, so yeah, that was where that idea kind of came about and then I remember graduating and again there was, that, um, there was that piece in the back of my head that was like, you know, you know you really need to go for this and there was almost this an- anxiety around timing too and, and and being first to market with it here locally. So but- you
1: were thinking that as a year 12 student, I need to be first to market?
2: I was just like, I need to do it's this now before impressive. someone else does, you know, not in that more complex way. But I was like, you know, I need to do this. And, and you know, how much time do I have really? Because it's got to go. Because um, if I don't do it, someone else is going to. And I want to do it in this way that's beautiful and inspiring and about the brand as well mm. and the storytelling and not just about the product. And that's, that's what it is to say. So graduated and thought, my husband was actually, well we were dating at the time, we've been together forever and um, he was doing um, a Bachelor of Business Degree in Entrepreneurship and said to me, you've got to do this course, you can take your your business into the course um, at RMIT In Melbourne and you can actually um, take that business all the way through that three-year course and get advice and connect with mentors and you know learn all the basics of business but at the end of the day I just love the idea of not letting go of that idea and and I was like that's totally me I'm gonna do it Um, and and so that's what I studied and had this three-year period to kind of research and develop the business and the brand Mm -hmm. and and kind of learn on speed around what are the things I need to know about business and and some pretty incredible mentors at that time it's amazing what it's amazing how generous people can be when you, you know, when you're vulnerable and open and ask for help, and um, and there was a lot of that, um, and so and so I think it was about eighteen months to two years working full time on the idea and working part time, as I was saying, and raising the guide dogs and having yeah. that kind of breeding ground for, you know, the the possibility of this business once I graduated and then and then launched. So that was that was the the school project journey to launch.
1: Well, I didn't, I I mean, I finished school in 2010 and I didn't even know that was a course.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, um, and, and I don't know exactly what it's called today, but um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful program at RMIT. I know they have a similar one at Swinburne. Fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, it's all about entrepreneurship and really inspiring that art of possibility and business and life. And um, it's pretty practical too now, which is which is really good. That's
1: important. I was going to say because yeah. some of my first year business subjects I did, I haven't been able to apply all of them to work now because mm-hmm. um, I just find it so much different when you're actually in it and working in it. But that's really cool to know because I, I also think that there's almost a, an idea. I love that you went to uni because there's almost an idea that you don't need to go to uni anymore. And for some some things you don't but it's nice to know that you kind of actually developed your business while you were there and there's yeah. an option.
2: Yeah, I think I think there's no and this is this is the thing I keep coming back to. I wanted to come up with like a playbook, a recipe to, you know, how do you start a business? And I remember being on that path, being really um, stuck in that space, wanting to understand what that, that circle of success looked like. Um but I don't really believe it exists other than just getting it done, Mm -hmm. like getting, and this is to your point, I don't think you necessarily need to do an entrepreneurship degree or a degree at all to to accelerate that process. I think it's just about surrounding yourself with the right people to to kind of support you on that journey. And for me, that right network came from that degree. Um, the head lecturer there is still one of my good friends and, and was oh, one of my mentors so at the time. And, um, you know, I remember having beautiful dealings with lots of, you know, some of Australia's leading business people um, and learnt so much about giving back through your learnings on the other side of that wheel. And I think that was something that really drove me in those early years of, of that business to get to a point where I saw that as success, to be able to go back in and spend time um, you know, in that two-way kind of mentorship piece, and, and helping to shortcut a lot of those mistakes and learnings from younger entrepreneurs, but also instilling that that deep belief that like you can actually go after anything. Mm. You know that um, you really can, and, um, and 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 I think that that's missing in the in the learning peace um, in that structured learning environment at school and university mm. but just had these beautiful teachers along the way and and my mom especially at home who who just never wavered from that it was just you just go after it you just do it.
1: And to touch on what you said before uh, that I loved that you, your dad mentioned that if you had your own business and it didn't work out, you're very hireable. And I completely agree with that. I think just because you're starting your own business, it doesn't have to work out. I mean, for you, it did. And, you know, luckily for us, it has as well. But you're actually, you learned so much on the job that it doesn't mean that your business, if your business doesn't succeed, you now don't Mm -hmm. have a job, you don't have a business you've learnt so much and you can go and apply that another
2: organisation and then then try again. Absolutely. Although I hated hearing that at the time. Of course. And I had (laughs) so many people say to me, you know, you've got nothing to lose. You're so young but actually... You know, you put so much energy and 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 everything into that that piece that you're doing. That you know, I think that's beautiful. That in mm. your eyes, you do think you have everything to lose, even when nothing really exists in reality. I think that's what really gets those those businesses off the ground. Yes. But you're right; it's um it's one of the most important attributes we look for in a lot of our um, staff when we're hiring at Tom. Um, you know that that ability to Relentless, have that relentlessness about you when you're going after something that you believe in and that that absolutely comes from that startup business place whether you succeed or not you have to have that skill and ability yeah so exactly. yeah absolutely Great.
1: so who and when did you sell your first product to
2: that is a, a good question because I remember that day like just as, as clear as anything <laughs> um so I grew up in Hawthorne um, and our local supermarket was this um, amazing IGA Renaissance supermarket. Um, and What it, is it on Auburn Road, the corner, that it, one? It's on the corner of, um, so there's two of them in Hawthorne. There's one on the corner of um, Glenferry Road and... What's that road that crosses across there? I Taronga. There. No, I don't know, but Not I know. Taronga, I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. In Auburn, it's on maybe? the corner. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that one. Um, same page. So it was beautiful um, local store, and we all used to do our grocery shopping there. Um, and I just remember going in, and I used to put up, put like you know prototype packs of Tom on the shelf and take photos for my presentations Aww. and you know the whole thing. And they kind of got to know me. Um, and George Altman, who owns those stores. Um, was a, he's a really special guy. I remember connecting with him and asking him as, his advice, early advice on my packaging and how you go about, you know, the business and he, he put me in touch with some interesting people and he said... You know, promise me that I'm the first person that has this product on the shelf. And I think when someone says that to you when you're in those early stages of starting the business, it really does make it feel like reality at a time where there's nothing that actually exists. Yes. And and I did promise him, and they were one of our you know most um, successful stores early on. But they enabled us to really connect and plug into our local community and 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 get feedback in those early days. And um, that's something I'll never forget. It's like he he just believed it would work, and I was like, wow. You know, I know I tell myself that a lot of the time. But of course, there's that critic voice in your head that that tells you the opposite. So um, it was such a small step. But I remember just being so proud of that moment. And um, it couldn't have been in a more perfect store. They've got such a great range of organic produce and it was completely aligned and supported a lot of local businesses. So... Um, it was good, but it was bloody hard work. Like it didn't work straight away. So, um, you know, they gave me the space and the environment to be able to try lots of different things. There was lots of sampling activity going on in the car park and, you know, little tags on the shelf that I'd print out at home literally and run down.
1: So that's kind of how it all started. Uh, and what was your price point at that point? Because you, I've heard you speak about how organic cotton is literally six times the price of normal. So how, you know, you obviously really believed in your product to be able to think, hang on, my product's going to be more expensive and no one's ever bought a tampon this expensive before, but they're going to buy mine.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, there was a lot of... Um there was a lot of conviction in knowing that this was going to work, mm. um, and and almost at any cost. I remember having lots of conversations in the early days around, you know, would you prefer to sell the same amount of product, um, sorry, double the amount of product for the same profit, um, and and hit double the amount of people, um, or the opposite, and the product be unattainable from a price perspective. And it was always, always about accessibility and mm-hmm. impact and the amount of people that could access this product. So really over invested in margin in those early days to get this off the ground and make it work Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of how it works with grocery and supermarkets a lot of people like to say oh you've got to go in uh, you know above this certain margin and this is the threshold but there's got to be a certain element of conviction and just backing yourself in and Mm -hmm. taking that risk around knowing that that's actually not always possible and once you get to a point where you can achieve volume and accessibility then you're in a position of strength again and you can have those sorts of negotiations across your supply chain. In business, but oh my god, so many people would have thought we were crazy. Like there were there were some products that you know we just weren't even making any money on in those early days, and they're like they were our hero products that got people talking about the brand. Um, and so it almost felt like it was you know part of the brand was a service to the community of just putting a product out there that was just way healthier um, than the alternative. And then the other part was really about the commercial side and and backed that up. So you do need the balance of both. But yeah, we. Yeah, an organic tampon, as as you said, is you know between four and six times more expensive than a conventional because it takes people and hands to to harvest organic cotton and to make that product, and um, it's the opposite uh, when it comes to conventional. So so that's where the cost is. But I but the prices are slowly coming down, and um, we made a big call two years ago. Um, so we started off at a about a twenty to thirty percent price premium, which mm-hmm. was really high. Of course, um, but it was it was still overinvested. In, in margin mm. and there's so many learnings on that journey and being quick to be agile is really important. So we got some feedback from um, from the women in our community around the pricing and um, were able to make some adjusted adjustments to price two years mm-hmm. ago and we updated our packaging um, and we decided to pass that on to the consumer straight away. So like there was no pocketing of any dollar there <laughs> and that was again really scary because it was like, you know, we were backing ourselves in mm. but, um, but it worked and that was our most, is an exciting year of growth, actually. I think that's that why year. people
1: really trust you. And going back to um, sacrificing your margin, we have products that cost us and that was a sacrifice that we made to make sure that, you know, maybe because it's good for brand awareness and then hopefully they'll buy the other products because they like it. And I, I think it's, it's funny, I've met so many people along the way and we have two fantastic business partners who have experience in um, the FMCG industry. Which, for anyone listening, it's the kind of the supermarket industry. Uh, but I met a lot of, especially older, uh, usually male people. Um, Older men who had worked in the industry for a long time, and they said, "You know, Laura, the number one thing you need to worry about is your margin. Nothing else matters." And we haven't run our business that way, and it's been working. So, of course, you need to have margin; otherwise, you cannot run a business. You can't run your business into the ground. But I think it is important to have that balance.
2: Well, I think what you've done is beautiful—is create a product that people want. You know, that's the hardest thing. You know, that's that's the hardest thing, and um, that was absolutely true with Charm in the early days as well. And then, um, you know, it's—I mean, it sounds. Maybe naive, but it's easy to find people that can come in and, and you know, help you to – and you can do this yourself as mm. well, absolutely. But to negotiate, you know, better pricing and margin when you get to a point where you've got a product that people want. But to do that from the beginning, I mean, yeah, it just wasn't the way that we went about it.
1: So tell us about how you got into Woolworths because that is just it's It tr- totally changes your business. I mean, if you're distributing to local health stores, you might, you know, sell, I don't know how many, just say like 100 boxes a week. But then that goes to 800 to, well, Woolworths now has 1,000 stores. It's absolutely crazy. And I can't believe that you did it when it was just you with your mum helping you.
2: Yeah, That's it was insane. Full on. No it was one really does that. On. No, look, I mean, I think I had an incredible support network of mentors and family around me because no one does that mm. on their own. You're right. <laughs> it was true, maybe no in one. a more <laughs> informal way. Um, but... Um, yeah, getting into Cosm and Woolworths. So had about 60 health food stores and again, all of that, um, great support from mentors around me, but they were like, Amy, that's not a business. Like yep. it's just the volumes weren't stacking up. It just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And I think I was really refusing grocery for a long time because, you know, I'm really into that values driven business piece and I want to make sure there's an alignment there. And I think I just resisted that because I was like, you know, they're just a big business and, you know, do they, I just didn't know enough about the way that they operated mm. at that point and really wanted. To support local community stores um, that were independently owned um, for that founding, you know, period of years, and mm. prioritise those stores first, and that's what I did. But then getting into, well, I mean, it's it's like getting an appointment with the Queen to get yes to get a absolutely. meeting time there. So the way that these businesses work is that every year they open up a range of you. As Sometimes, you know. they yeah. Sometimes they don't even. Sometimes they take even. two years totally because they might decide that that's how it will work that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were lucky enough to, we, I always say we because that's just how it was, but it still was just me at that point, um, get an appointment with Woolworths and I remember um, just preparing for that meeting like it was my, you know, more important than my final year 12 exams, like it was just I knew the presentation word by word off by heart and I had the most beautiful prototype ready to go. I'd literally use my last scent to, you know, uh, you know, get up there. On, I guess so I have to fly up to Sydney and totally. then drive
1: to their head office.
2: Yeah, so I went up with um, one of my mentors at the time, and um, and he was just brilliant. He just created light in the situation. I was so nervous; like it was just, it was such a big deal. I remember sitting down in that meeting room and again i was fronted up by this guy who just had no care in the world for mm. health or wellness at all in the way he presented and um and and he's and his value that he placed on the category and um you know i did my little tampon test with the tampons in water and like i was amazed that it even got that far that he hadn't kicked me out of the room yet because that was the tone um but um, what was incredible was that there was this woman in the meeting and she was listening and she was engaged but but that was all that kind of happened for that time and I was very quickly shut down. Mm. Um, There wasn't space in the category I was told at that time Um, even though I emphasised that absolutely everything in that category was the same. Like there was all sameness once you take away the packaging. there is no differentiation when it comes to tampons. I was devastated. I just, that was the end of the road for me. I literally would have had, I had no money in my bank account at that time. My mentor had to pay for half of our flight to get there on the way back home because we'd missed a flight. I mean, it was just goes into the bag of the multiple times that this business nearly failed. Did they
1: push you on price and your supply chain?
2: They didn't even get to that point in that first meeting because it was just, you know... we were just talking about the the brand concept and and it was a whole new education around organic. Mm. So this is this is bringing and actually Woolworths were the first to take Tom on in the end, and they were the first grocery store in the world to take on a, an organic tampon. So it was a big deal for them, and I and I get that at the time. But um, anyway, so I left feeling completely deflated. I How remember old were you? I would have been early twenties, okay. like yeah. twenty two. Um, at the time and I remember sitting in my local like about life health food store on the way back to the airport in Sydney and sitting there and having um you know a bit of a debrief about just how, you know, this is potentially the end of the road. And um this woman sitting next to me said, you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to to overhear your conversation but um, you know maybe I can help you I own these stores I've got two other stores do you want to put these products on my shelves and I just remember thinking I just felt so aligned in those stores I was sitting there drinking my like green juice and had you know all these familiar brands on the shelves and I knew the families and the people behind those products it really felt like coming home and um, so spent another year working really hard just in terms of building up that that brand and really getting to know the customer and who we were talking to and um, thinking about what it was that was really going to define the success around the product and it was going back and having another crack the next year at the next range review with a few more runs on the board and um, a bit more volume in the bag and mm-hmm. um, still tiny tiny quantities like our manufacturers were laughing at us every time I spoke to them about the next <laughs> order it was like one tiny little box you know and their minimum order were like was like, you know, five million units of each tampon size and we would have ordered a couple of hundred. So it was just, you know, minuscule. It's almost a miracle they were dealing with us at the time. And... Um yeah, I just remember going back again and um, the buyer had changed over. So that's something that happens really regularly in grocery and um, it was the most beautiful experience. It's completely changed the way... Was it a female a buyer? A female buyer. Her name is Amy and it's completely changed the way that I look at um, those businesses now. Mm. They are they are enablers for really important products for people um, in our community and um, they're just people, um, you know, that are. I think we, we look at them as companies kind of doing all sorts of things that we would like to perceive mm-hmm. that they're doing that suit us at the time, depending on where our position is on that, that path. But um, this one was amazing. I remember meeting with her, and I was just, I didn't want to go back into that office again because I was just like, I had such a terrible experience that first time I said to her, Oh, you know, it's <laughs> just like put the ball back in her court and said, Oh, well, you just meet at the local shopping centre? And she was like, Sure. So she came to Bondi, which is unheard of.
1: Wow. Um, so and you didn't we had.
2: Didn't go to Woolworths and I was like, you know, I'm just putting this on my terms. I showed her one of our local stores that we were stocking the product and um – you know, I, she really believed the story. Like I could see she really believed and she she had the confidence to back herself. And, um, you know, that went away a few months later, still hadn't heard anything mm. and always following up, but kind of left it. And then remember I got a call at like six o'clock on a Friday night. And at that point I had um, Amber working with me, who's still with me today um, and heads up all of our product development and operations. And I got this call and it was Amy. And she said on the phone, just out of nowhere, you know, you've You've got ranging in 800 stores, Amy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That is equally unbelievable as also um, full on because we had to deliver that product in 12 weeks. So, it was literally the visualisation of, you know, you can imagine a garage door literally opening up in 12 weeks' time in their warehouses, yep. um, as you would know. And, um, you know, we had a tiny, tiny window to deliver that product. And and um, if you miss the window, you If you, you miss the window, your you're ranging. out, you lose yeah. your ranging. So, um, Amy was incredible and worked with us through that process, but there was a lot of just, I remember just pulling a big calendar off the wall with Amber, our post-it notes, and we were like, right, okay, how are we going to do this? And so, so that's literally how these businesses start. Mm-hmm. I think we can look like really complex, you know, be businesses yes. now, but we're really just rolling up our sleeves and pulling out our notebook and just getting it done, you know, and, and, and that's kind of how it all happened and it still does in a lot of ways today. So um, and then, you know, you think it would be easy to get Coles on board, um, well, West competitor, but, um, you know, that took another two years and another amazing woman, Anne-Marie, who believed in the product and the story and is still a friend today. So I think the common theme there is... Um, you know, these are just people that you know need to need to. I think have that human connection, and um, and and they thrive in that way when we when we treat them as equals on that level. I think we can go in on the on the attack or the defense when there's when there's this perception of needing to succeed against yeah. almost the yeah the opposite of that. Um, but. But, yeah, it was all about building those really deep relationships and doing that in a way that was really meaningful and enjoyable for them. We used to take in, like, green juices and smoothies and snacks into our meetings and, you know, break up that that, that energy that you would know mm. exists very well um, in those traditional types of businesses and bring in that, a bit of that small business spark that is, is unique to us. So
1: Love that. So what did you tell yourself when, I mean, I know you didn't meet up at Woolworths, but when you're walking to Bondi to meet... Um, Amy at that store what did you tell yourself because I feel like sometimes if you've faced rejection before and as you said your distribution had changed a little bit but not a lot how did you kind of make like it's so hard to believe in yourself at that point what did you tell yourself so you would
2: yeah that's a good one I just remember feeling you know I was almost channeling that rage and frustration that came off that last meeting and and, and disrespect Mm -hmm. you know into um I just believed that this was going to happen whether she liked it or not, yep. you know, and I had this, this, this unfounded, I like, you couldn't, you just couldn't shake it, like, and th- I think that that reflects the way that we met and the nature in which we met, and I think that confidence that, you know, this train's leaving the station, you're either on it or not, um, that's what almost, you know, may have got her across the line as well, that she has a responsibility to her consumers mm-hmm. to do the right thing, and, um, yeah, so... I don't know if that's something that's innate to get back up and the way you get back up again um, or it's something that can be learned. It's just a mindset and it, there was nothing intentional for me about it. It was just that natural flow of I think when you really believe in something and you're so protective of it and you just – you want to be that that enabler for it, that thing. For me, it was Tom. Um, I was just – and I kind of move all the roadblocks in my way and and knew that I had to to get to the people and mm. and um and I think making her and being really vulnerable about that too with um with Amy and and being really open about how that that felt and what that looked like and that this was going to go regardless so I don't know I think maybe that's also come from just my upbringing as well and my parents always instilling that in me mm. that that's just, you know, early on you just don't give up, you know, and I think that's just another reason just to prove all the, all the things wrong that you just keep going and, and it works. It always comes off if mm. you just, you know, it's just one, one step, one foot in front of the next
1: I love that mm-hmm. and I love especially with the Coles and Bulwers there's such big corporates and mm. it's just a, like compared to a small business environment it's completely different and it's so nice that you went in there and you still were okay with taking things down to a personal level because I feel like sometimes especially as a female in business you kind of feel like you have to go in and know your numbers off. well I mean of course you have to know your numbers off by heart but be very corporate and um, not and kind of break them down to that personal level because it's not, you know, you don't think that's the right thing to do but sometimes if you're really passionate about what you do that's the way for them to see it.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, our idea of a successful meeting now at Colson Woolworths is to sit out on the front lawn and have a have a little picnic with them because, I mean, that's that's kind of at the end of the day we're all human and, mm. like, who doesn't want to be outside and, and everyone would that. But I think to your point, I think still just do you, you know, like it's yes. just and that's what stands out. That's what's different between, um, you know, us and our competitors that, that we do bring that and um, we're not going to conform to the way that traditional mm. business has been done because that's what keeps things moving forward.
1: So obviously, Tom was your baby um, and your biggest passion project, and then you decided to start a family. Were you scared at all that you wouldn't be able to balance it? Or you, Yeah, I I have that. This is the biggest fear in my head that, you know, a keeper cleaner is my baby and, and I feel that I'd be kind of worried that I wouldn't, and this is a horrible thing to say, but I wouldn't love my own
2: kids as much as I love kick.
1: How did you... Did you ever go through that?
2: Yeah, it's funny you say that. Um, I remember being literally coached by my a, a good friend of mine who's also a midwife um, and um, she said to me, Amy, we need to look at your calendar. And this is when I was like really late in the pregnancy with the twins mm. and she's like, we need to pick a date and you need to commit to going in and just taking your things down, you know, off the wall in there and packing a little box and just going home. Um, I found it really hard to find that, that kind of drop-dead date mm. to draw the line between the two, um, but it was such a such an important thing for me to do um, and also create structure around, you know, the, the new chapter, which um, I definitely did a whole lot of things wrong that mm. first time that I adjusted and kind of self-reflected on and did differently with um, my second pregnancy. Um I think I definitely underestimated kind of the gaping hole um, that I would leave in the business as a result of just being me and being mm. around and what impact that has on culture and um, and just the way that the business kind of operated at such mm. a small stage. But How
1: big was your team when you had your first
2: two? It was about seven in the team, okay. but again, it was an incredible um credible law of attraction in terms of just having women in the team that mm. believed and ran the business like it was their own and that's really special as you I'm sure can relate to so um, you know was definitely appreciative of, of all of that that happened but yeah I found that really hard I remember finding out that I had twins and, and felt like that just knocked me for six mm. because I was like you know I'm with one baby you know you could probably come back and you know juggle the two and wear it in a baby carrier I mean I couldn't even imagine how I would carry two babies around the office like I was like I can't even logistically get my head around how I would f- hold a phone to my ear and, and and nurse a baby like a just, I love that.
1: that's the thing that you think about yeah. I think
2: that's where my brain would go as well it's like yeah. well logistically how am I going to work this out you and know and I'm, I'm researching like baby carriers yeah. that have two babies now <laughs> I'm like this is ridiculous so I think that's actually what I needed I, I remember my mum saying to me when I was like oh the twins would have been like newborn and I was at home in bed and they were like both sleeping on me and it was this I was probably up all night and exhausted but um it was a familiar mountain to me. Like, it's a mountain that I'd climbed before and I think mm. starting and running a business, I'm, I'm sure you can relate that, you know, every single day there's kind of relentless challenges mm. that go on, especially in those early days. Um, but I think what's beautiful about children is that you have that constant emotional reward. Like, you have that, that you know, it's just that it's them and that your your job is just to love them and be there and, like, that, that's, that was effortless. And so, um, you know, I was aware of that. Particularly because of the people that were, I was surrounded with and that they were keeping me on track and reminding mm. me of that. Um, it was it was an important discipline for, I think it is generally for women to be taken out of a business as a result of being pregnant. Mm. You have to put um, maternity leave as a gift, it's a gift to learn a whole lot of new skills that you haven't learned before. Like my time management's definitely enhanced <laughs> as a result of this skill, as a result of having twins and three children now. Um, yeah, I found it really hard to get my head around it all and I probably didn't deal with a lot of how I actually felt. I probably yeah. just put my head down and worked as hard as I've ever worked during my pregnancy and, um, and you know, it probably took till my second pregnancy to really um, deal with how I was feeling about all of that and the denial around, you know, actually how hard I was working and how many hours I was putting mm-hmm. in. So I had to really transition from being that, you know, chief doer, doing everything in the business and wearing ten hats mm-hmm. to... Um, transitioning into a new role, which is more of a founder and um, you know, discovering what that superpower is that, that I can bring to the team and the business and be really potent with my time and um, not feel like I have to be everything to everyone at every moment in time because actually that's not the best thing for my business nor for me. So um, that was a really big thing for me to learn, but it took like a lot of mistakes. For example, at, you know, eight months, I remember breastfeeding the twins and putting them down to bed and I'd rush into the office you know get in the car and 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 be in there for that little block while they were asleep and I'd come home and feed them again and you know I don't know how long I would have done that for but that was not good for anyone. Is that because you
1: felt like you had to be there because you had to show up?
2: Yeah I probably and Mm -hmm. I probably didn't know how to lead in any other way you know I probably felt you know I'd always been a you know I just led by example and by example was just to be there doing the work and um and, and, and I found that really difficult, but there are so many incredible ways that you can do it um, now, especially with, um, you know, technology and, and, and as you would know, just plugging into a different way of thinking that you can really inspire and energise and, and, and have that two-way communication and work seamlessly with your team. So um, I was pretty good at self-regulating, but only recently. I I definitely ran myself into the ground and probably got to a point of, you know, perhaps even burnout where mm. I remember I, um, you know, just went to get – fell pregnant really easily in between both pregnancies. We were really lucky. Whenever mm. we decided we to have a baby, it was like straight away. The twins were literally straight up. Um, but I just wasn't holding pregnancies in between after the twins and I was really surprised. So I thought, oh, you've got to be really, you know – in a, in a good shape, healthy, you yeah. know, physically to to conceive and hold a pregnancy with twins. And I just was like, oh my god, this is my body's way of telling me that you know I, I lost two pregnancies, had two miscarriages, Sorry. and um, yeah. So and and you know, luckily it was early on, but oh, it was yeah. still um, it was still a really challenging process to go through. And I think asking the right questions of my body at that time, and you know, how could I have possibly expected for my body to hold a pregnancy after the m- immense stress stress and pressure. And energy that I'd been expending without filling up my cup at all. And, Mm. you know, that had been nearly 10 years since I was 18 and starting the business. Like it was just, you know, it was just, I truly believed and still probably believe in a lot of ways, and it's some work I've got to do that, you know, you've got to self sacrifice to be successful in a business. And there are Mm. times for that, but there are other ways to do it as well. And so, um, one of the greatest gifts was just that feedback from my body to stop and listen and that was a real turning point for me um, to start to find that more of that balance and self-regulate around that and balance what is that it's just like I think for me it's just being plugged into when things feel feel wrong feel like they're not in flow they just feel out. Um, starting to resent doing certain things, that's when the balance is out for me. Um, And, you know, I've worked bloody hard to be in a position where I can adjust that really quickly. Um, What do you do to
1: adjust it? Oh, like
2: if, you know, I can pull back on on work commitments, for example, or I can change the... um, Some great advice I got really early on from a mentor was to start a Keep Stop Start journal. And at mm-hmm. the end of every um, week or work day, you know, you just kind of like, what made you feel really good about that day? Like, it sounds really basic, but I started to get to a point where my brain was so cluttered. I couldn't even, when people would say to me, well, what do you want to do in the business? Or how do you want to spend your time? I was like, I don't actually even know because yeah. I've just done everything for so long. I, do, I don't even know what it is that I enjoy anymore. Yeah. And um, and that really helped me. So I'd go back to that and, 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 and reflect on that and kind of go, okay, well, I need to actually, but I really did need help to pull myself out of that, yeah. that spin and that, that, that Bird out phase Um so um, recently, and this is kind of jumping ahead after my next pregnancy, which there are a lot of learnings around in terms of how to kind of balance that business motherhood piece. But I took 12 months actively off and built the business right. up to be able to um, support me in that way. So um, worked with a beautiful team of recruiters at Beam and they specialize in recruiting women who um, want flexible work, but have children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but highly skilled, so have a lot to give and um super proud that 100 of our leadership team are mums and they work flexibly and um you know we employ 20 women at tom and so it's funny that the business has kind of naturally followed this path from me it's you know the period path and then we launched tushies by tom and i had the twins which was around the nappy piece and then this flexible work piece around becoming a mother and still wanting to have that that potent input and use your brain and your mind mm. and and contribute in in business and um and so um, recently, one of the biggest turning points to be able to find that balance for me was learning to meditate. Um, it was something. Everyone,
1: that- I need to do it. Oh,
2: I feel it's- like it's the one thing that everyone says, and I just can't get myself to do it. But- oh my gosh, Laura, it has <laughs> changed my life. It's yeah. changed my husband's life. Um, it's like, I can't even explain to you what it's done for me, but I just wish I'd done it earlier. Mm. Um, probably could have avoided a lot of these challenges in life but um, I think that, you know, that's that's for a reason so um, earlier this year I made an absolute commitment to myself that I wouldn't go back to, to working again until I'd done this course and I did it with Jackie Lewis from The Broad Place and she's just unbelievable um, and is now a, a coach and, and kind of really helping me to do some other work um, to, to kind of fine tune that balance so but the daily meditation, so twenty minutes of meditation for me, and the way and the style that we've been taught is equal to like four hours of just like high energy. So that's just what I needed. And being a mom in with the kids morning, and morning, and you can do it any time okay. of day. But um, I just wake up twenty minutes before the kids, and um, you know, it's just I don't know, just it like it's like a mental detox for me. It just it resets. It's taken a lot of that worry and that anxiety out of my decision making. I've got mm-hmm. clarity of thought again. Um, it was almost impossible for me to even hear my own intuition and thoughts before I started meditating like I got to a point where it was so cluttered it was so chaotic with three children and the business that I thought okay something's really going to change here and that was what what changed and like it's incredible now and um, I think your perspective and and everything that goes along with it it should be a prerequisite in school you shouldn't be able to graduate unless you've done this, (laughs) this course because it's such a life skill that I think is just so powerful so that was another big one that helped me to to better regulate. That's how I regulate, self-regulate really well with now with um with business and life and also time for myself and um, this meditation coach. Um, said to me recently and this is probably similar to to yourself and most women out there who have started and run businesses or working bloody hard and wanting to look at having a family is um, she said to me you know have you ever thought about living by the seasons like you know you've just lived in summer like that's been your life that you just like rise and grind and that's what you do yeah. when you start a business and um, you know it can be relentless and in summer it's long days and long hours but actually you know the seasons if you think about them and how they're designed like winter's designed to be still and be with yourself and sit and be calm and reflect and you know spring's time for new growth and regeneration again and she's like mate you need three winters like you just need to sit with yourself and you need to just like and the outcome that will come from that so um, will be powerful but so that's been a lot of the work that I've been doing recently and feel really grateful that I've got a team in place that was by design to be able to give me that space to do that and as a result mm-hmm. I'm doing you know some of the the better work than I've done with time, and I'm in there less than I've ever been so um, that's proof. It, that's
1: it's it's hard, though, as I think, as a business owner to think, because I feel like sometimes you think that if you are to take it a bit easier, which is actually doing better because you're going to, as you said, do better work, you're going to fall behind. Definitely. And I think that's why we think that you have to have summer. All the time because if there's other people doing it all the time, so you should be. Mm. But I, I found like even just having three days away from work, I, my, my, I'm i creative again, but I feel like if I'm in every, like when you're there every day and you're putting stress on yourself, I'm totally blocked.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so hard, isn't it, to step Mm. back and that little critic on our shoulder telling us that like, you're not working hard enough. Why are you slacking off? Why are you going away? But actually, that is a critical ingredient to Mm. the success of whatever it is that you're doing to have, you know, reinvestment in yourself. And like, it's easy to say, but it's like, it's just so true. Mm.
1: How important is your husband to you in being a support network
2: well, he's critical. I mean, I don't yeah. even know if I'd be doing this if it wasn't for him <laughs> so nice. um, doing this in terms of life and, and um, you know, if I think back 10 years now and, and, and where we kind of are today, it's just, you know, I think it's so easy to feel that relentlessness around what do we want to do next and, you know, it's just more of this and more of that and always at a pace but I'm, I'm so proud of where we've we've got to now and, um, you know, with our family and the way that we kind of just exist day to day and he he has been everything. He's like He's like my gut and my inner voice and my instinct when it's not there um it's funny that we will um is he, that higher voice for me in in everything in life and um yeah he's just he's an, he's he's an unconditional support and he you know everyone mum always used to say this growing up she was always like you need to find a partner that brings out the best in you and you know we always used to to kind of laugh about that because that was just her thing but um I mean, it sounds really cliche, but that's kind of what it is. Like, he will help me self regulate when I'm not there and um, in my own mind. So, um, he's he's been a, an absolute critical part of this. And um, I just wouldn't be here in any shape, way, shape, or form if it wasn't for his unwavering support. And also the ability to just like, I mean, he also runs his own business. I was going to ask if he works as well. He's in property, and okay. there's absolutely no way that we could both balance that. Like, you know that fine line between you know really going all the way in our own careers and having a family Mm. and family it's number one for us and we're both super grounded in that now but you have to go the opposite way and get it all wrong first to be able to know what feels right for you um and we self-regulated pretty quickly on that um but yeah he's yeah unconditional
1: that's so special. And and on that with failures and challenges, what has been your biggest, and I'm sure you're not going to call it a failure now because I'm sure you've learnt so much from it, but do you have a biggest failure?
2: Oh, there's heaps. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you sound like us. There's heaps. Oh, it's like um, this week, last week. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think... I think the biggest piece there for me is learning to, like, get really deep in the failure. Like, it's easy to quickly kind of want to move on from mm. it and do the next thing and get back up, and that's really important. Um, but, yeah, oh, gosh. I think, I think early on, like, I was so desperate to make the business work that um, I was willing to kind of take any account to make it work Mm. Um, and I remember talking to a pharmacy group really early on and they offered me, you know, 60 stores straight up and there was no deep discussion around what's your vision and how do we think this is going to work or where are we going to take it? I was like, right, got my first order, you know, just need to make this happen and um, it was an absolute, like, disaster. So, I remember being overseas and and meeting with our manufacturers, and my brother calling me. Um, and at the time, and I was still living at home, and he was like, "Amy, um, there's been seven hundred kilos of tampons delivered to our doorstep," and I was like, "Oh my god, you're kidding that me! That would be a lot. Of, it's yeah, a lot. It's a lot. Like of it's a lot. Like <laughs> heavy." Um, and. Yeah, they this pharmacy group decided for whatever reason they were going to close a whole lot of stores and they just decided to send product back and we weren't con- covered contractually and... Um, you know, so there are all the hard learnings really early on. But that was a really awful period because yeah. there was no business. Like that was our business. And so, um, you know, it was really about being intentional around, you know, who is most deserving of that product? Where can I place that strategically so this is never going to happen again? And I think it bit me so hard and it was just such an awful hit. And the way that that process was done in terms of just – I think the biggest learning out of that is dealing with people that you really enjoy being around and you can choose and, you know, making sure that your values are aligned. I keep saying it but it's so true. Like you don't have to compromise, you know. You can build and design that own group of people that sit around you and same in business and, mm-hmm. and I think I just kind of went for the carrot but actually that wasn't really ever what it was about. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, big learning there.
1: And how many tampons was that?
2: Oh, God, that's a great question. I think it was like would have been maybe thirty thousand?
1: Oh my goodness. It was a lot.
2: You know yeah. what's
1: amazing? And I think from your whole, listening to your whole story, <clears throat> the most special thing is that you're now like obviously an extremely successful business, but you've had setbacks and they've been really big. Like having thirty thousand ones at your front doorstep. I, I I'm sure ninety nine percent of people would say that's it, I'm done. Are you and then had just had your friends over every time they had their
2: period. Yeah, I know and <laughs> you know, so it's mean, it a little bit of that. forever.
1: Yeah. But it's it's really cool that you were able to get up every single time.
2: Oh, you know, and half you're right, but half the time, you know, you've got to be dragged by the people around yeah, you, and you know, right. you can make it. I think you know, part of part of the joy of being able to reflect is that it's easy to just look at the way that you got back up without really getting in the thick of how it really felt yeah. at the time, and it was awful. Like I think it was, you know, it was so many so many steps closer to failure than I could ever have imagined. Now, um, but. Yeah, you're right. But they're the defining pieces because, you know, not making those same mistakes again I it's think really is, is the learning <laughs> and the thing that I do really badly from failures. As I said, I like to just move on but you're right. It's, um, I don't know, it takes the crazy ones maybe sometimes it's too maybe to just kind think,
1: of keep going. Especially because you do it by yourself because with Steph and I, there's it works really well that any time one person is like, this is too hard. The other one is like, no, no, no we can do it. And, and that's been really helpful for us. But it, yeah, it's funny setbacks are something you look back on and you laugh at it. And um, I mean, we have spelling mistakes on a lot of our products that are in Woolworths at the oh, Yeah, we had all um, of that yeah, too. And yeah. uh, I mean, they're all being fixed and, and everything, but it's one of those things that at the time it, the, when it happens it is the worst thing in the world but then you look back on it and you learn so much so just knowing that you know at this sucks right now but soon I'm going to learn so much from this and I'm going to appreciate it.
2: Absolutely and I think like it's scary at the time too so not underestimating that but mm. I think the biggest the biggest question that I always ask or am reminded or prompted to ask is what is the absolute worst thing that can happen right now because a lot of the time it's the story that we make up mm. in our head but really actually you just Fix the spelling mistakes, and in the next print run, like you keep moving. But it's like when you're such a perfectionist and you care so much about Mm. what you're doing, it's like terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. We've been in the same in the same boat. So, and at
1: least spelling mistakes don't harm anyone. That's it. People that really care about spelling and grammar, which is very important.
2: (laughs) (laughs) As long as they know they're buying a tampon, (laughs) exactly.
1: So to finish off, I've got a really strange question. Um, If you could play a movie character or TV person in any TV show or movie, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. That's – okay, that's a big question.
2: <laughs> oh, I might need some time on that. You really threw me there. Oh, okay. Maybe for the sake of my children because yes. they're totally Aladdin-obsessed. Princess Jasmine and Aladdin. There oh, you go. Oh,
1: that's so nice. i be their superhero.
2: I don't know. I just think, like, they, um, they're still at this beautiful age where they're four years old and um, – they their imagination is just so alive, and they believe all the things at the moment, like all those impossible things. It's just all there, and you just kind of want to bottle that. So I don't know. That's a really random response. <laughs> I, I love it. Apologize no, apologize for really that, special. but it's just my universe right now. I'm not watching movies. I'm not taking time to yeah, watch movies. You know, I just Netflix. don't have the time. So you're watching Aladdin. It's all no. about <laughs> Aladdin, and that's my universe. So <laughs> I guess that's where I kind of sit today.
1: I love that. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I think our audience will learn so much from you. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and i did too
2: (laughs) appreciate it really appreciate your time thanks
1: so now it is time for question of
0: the week it is from megan Mm -hmm. how does the new kickmoji update work well i'm glad you asked megan because it's definitely something that i would like to talk about (laughs) i'm so excited (laughs) for this update this is possibly one of my favorite updates we've had thus far with this app what about you laws Oh, yeah, because we have emojis. You can make an emoji <laughs> of yourself. So cool. So basically, <laughs> basically what it is, guys, is as I said earlier in, in the intro, we used to put out these calendars, um, and we still do, of course, Um for anyone else that wants to join in uh, where girls can basically log their activity that they do during the month. um, And people share it on their stories or they just keep it for themselves. Some of the girls even print them out. But what we wanted to do was to integrate that into the app. um, And we wanted to make sure the girls could personalise it a bit. So we thought it'd be a great idea when people log into the app or, um, first download it when they create their profile they also create their own little Kick moji so we've got all different skin tones and hair colors and t-shirt colors and all that sort of stuff so the girls can personalize it and we've got so much more we want to do with that as well um, which is really exciting because there is so much so many areas we could grow in that area too but the girls are having fun with it as, as they are and then what they do with that Kickmoji is they can log in each day and basically when they click log your day, Um, Which, by the way, if you're looking at the app screen and you're wondering where that is, it's in the bottom right-hand corner of our app. It's a little kind of trophy icon. So then you log in your day and you can click the different activities and and it's not just all the um, actions like strength and hit. We've got all the different sort of stuff like biking, swimming. We've also got cooking. You can also add in a rest day um, or meditation and there's also a space where you can write your own notes. So if you've had a particularly restful day or a really active day or any note you want to leave for yourself to remind yourself of what went on that day, you can do that. And you can always go back and edit the day. So if you move in the morning and you want to enter it then, it's not like it's done for the day. You can go back in later and and edit it. And then from there, you can also share your progress or your activity with everyone on social media by pressing the top right button with the three little dots that are connected and it'll take a screen to your story, which is basically tells you a percentage of the way through the month you are and it'll tell you your top activities. So I think by the end of the month, it'll be a great indication for people to see what their favorite uh, ways of moving is, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I love it. And say, I think staying accountable to yourself. And as you said, it's not just about doing strenuous activity. It's not a you have to do 100% of exercise every single month. Definitely not. But it's just to help you stay accountable, especially as um, we might have been a little bit less motivated in winter, which is totally okay. But now we're getting into spring, we can get that motivation back. And it's nice to, to have that to kind of make sure you check in every day and see how you're going. And also just, I think, to go back and see how you were like, you know, when you've been run down or for me, for example, now that I'm sick, I'm tracking all my sickness in yeah. there,
0: which is a funny way to use it. But. <laughs> no, but it's a nice way to also look back and you can make notes for yourself or you can even write like nice messages to yourself. It's just a nice way to be able to look back on your activity and um, I don't know, it's kind of like the, the modern way of journaling. <laughs> yes, exactly. So well, we hope the- you guys enjoy that.
1: And remember to use, if you do want to try it, use the code for 50% off for this month, which
0: is SPRING50 through the website. Yep. so our website is keepitcleanart.com.au. You'll have to use the code through there. And then once you've done that, you can uh, download the app. But uh, again, the code will only work through the website. Sign up. That's it from us, guys, but we will be back next week. Uh, we'll actually be in Bali, so we'll be recording our next week's intro from Bali, and hopefully, Lawsy, you're feeling better by then. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I will be. <laughs> and for all the girls listening that are coming on this next retreat, we are so excited to meet you all. Um, honestly, can't wait. Last re- The last retreat was so amazing. We're so excited to go through it again. Um, and, yeah, get ready for a lot of fun and a lot of working out <laughs> and a <laughs> lot of connections. I think the one, the one thing that a lot of girls took away from the last retreat was friendships and, you know, meeting like-minded girls and everything like that. So we're really excited for you all and we'll see you there. And if you want to see more from us, you can find us on Instagram at laura.henshaw, at Steph yes. smith, or, of course, at Keep A Cleaner. And you can hear us next week on Wednesday. Yes. Bye, guys. <laughs> bye. <laughs>